Thank you for listening to an audio resource from Stanwich Church, located in Greenwich and Stamford, Connecticut. The vision of Stanwich Church is to know Christ and make Him known. The Old Testament lesson for today is from 1 Samuel chapter 16, verses 1 through 13. This can be found on page 282 of your pew Bibles. This story about the calling of David to be Israel's second king clearly illustrates the difference between the way God sees us and the way we see each other. The prophet Samuel was influenced by the appearance of the men brought before him. But God chose David according to his heart. A reading from 1 Samuel chapter 16, beginning with the first verse. The Lord said to Samuel, How long will you grieve over Saul since I have rejected him from being king over Israel? Fill your horn with oil and go. I will send you to Jesse the Bethlehemite, for I have provided for myself a king amongst his sons. And Samuel said, how can I go? If Saul hears it, he will kill me. And the Lord said, take a heifer with you and say, I have come to sacrifice to the Lord and invite Jesse to the sacrifice. And I will show you what you shall do. And you shall anoint for me him whom I declare to you. Samuel did what the Lord commanded and came to Bethlehem. The elders of the city came to meet him, trembling, and said, Do you come peaceably? And he said, Peaceably, I have come to sacrifice to the Lord. Consecrate yourselves and come with me to the sacrifice. And he consecrated Jesse and his sons and invited them to the sacrifice. When they came, he looked on Eliab and thought, Surely the Lord's anointed is before him. But the Lord said to Samuel, do not look on his appearance or the height of his stature, because I have rejected him. But the Lord sees not as man sees. Man looks on the outward appearance, but the Lord looks on the heart. Then Jesse called Abinadab and made him pass before Samuel. And he said, neither has the Lord chosen this one. Then Jesse made Shammah pass by. And he said, neither has the Lord chosen this one. And Jesse made seven of his sons pass before Samuel. And Samuel said to Jesse, the Lord has not chosen these. Then Samuel said to Jesse, are all your sons here? But behold, excuse me. And he said, there remains yet the youngest, but behold, he is keeping the sheep. And Samuel said to Jesse, send and get him, for we will not sit down till he comes here. And he sent and brought him in. Now he was ruddy and had beautiful eyes and was handsome. And the Lord said, Arise, anoint him, for this is he. Then Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed him in the midst of his brothers. And the spirit of the Lord rushed upon David from that day forward. And Samuel rose up and went to Ramah. May God add his blessing to the reading of his holy word. Amen. 
It was a beautiful Friday evening. The sun was starting to set, and parents and students were just wrapping up an amazing night of delicious barbecue food, games, and Bible study. Everything was exactly as it should be. Has anyone ever felt that way before? And very soon things change, right? And they're not exactly as they should be. And that happened, right? There was this incident that took place. I want to invite all of you, um, I'm being a little vulnerable here, on a personal journey of public humiliation. And uh, all I ask is that you keep your judgments to a minimum. And if you want to make fun of me, just save it for after the service. So there's no heckling during the service. Um, So there I was, wrapping up an awesome night of ministry alongside my co-leader, Lauren Sumner, Um, For those who don't know, Lauren and I, we co-lead the Student and Family Discipleship Ministry here at Stanwich Church. And as we walked out the doors of the church, some students were interested in playing some two-hand touch football while the parents wrapped up their Bible study time. And so I thought to myself, you know what, that sounds really fun, but hold on, Craig. You're 27. Just remember for a second, a lot of these kids are like 11 years old, right? So make sure you go easy on them. It's not about you. It's about the kids, right? We call them students. They're, they're students, not kids. But, um, so we got a football, we picked teams, and before we knew it, we were running around uh, on the field. And at one point in our game, our team was on defense, and I found myself defending McKenna O'Neill. So McKenna O'Neill, she's a seventh grade girl, an all-star athlete, but I will repeat the first point I made, a seventh grade girl. Um, so if we could throw up that picture I, I have... Um, this is just, this is during Sky Kids when we were in the game station. I just wanted to give you guys a picture here. So this is me and McKenna. You can see we're both a uh, little bit of a different body sizes, height difference. Um, if you had to pick someone for your football team, I don't know who you'd pick, but, you know, I'm a little biased. I would pick me. Um, so anyways, at that point, I thought to myself, you know what? I'm going to be a good youth leader. I'm going to give McKenna her moment, and I'm going to play off of her a little bit, let her, let her shine. And little did I know that those words would become prophetic. So the quarterback yells hike, and McKenna, she darts off towards the sideline on a horizontal route. She catches the ball. I square myself to the receiver, just like I learned playing football in high school. And I start to approach her, ready to tag her with two hands. And then all of a sudden, she like makes a cut one way, like a juke. And then she makes a cut the other way. And all of a sudden, I find myself on the ground. <laughs> and McKenna is running right by me. And you should have heard it. All of the students just erupted in, in joy at my humiliation. And I learned that day, I, I want you to remember this, McKenna is a stone-cold killer, and she cannot be trusted. So if you take anything away from this. <laughs> um, so now for those of you who were there that night, um, you may remember that she juked me out again, and that's not important. What's important is that I made the age-old mistake of judging based on appearances. And we do this all the time, right? Why do you think I'm here in this you know, suit and tie, right? I respect the pulpit and, and this platform, so I'm obviously you know, taking it seriously. But you know, I got a haircut for this. We, we, do this. we do this because we place a high value on our appearance. But oftentimes, someone's appearance doesn't tell the full story. And this is why we have that classic phrase, don't judge a book by its cover. For example, I assumed that I would be able to defend a a seventh grade girl in two-hand touch football, but instead I ended up with grass stains and a bruised ego. And that's the risk that comes with judging 
by appearances. Now that's a silly example, so let's go a little bit deeper here for a moment and ask ourselves a question. While we tend to judge based on appearances, how does God judge us? Is he concerned with our outward appearances or something deeper? And what are the implications for people like us, right, who do a great job portraying this positive image on the outside, but meanwhile are unable to hide those woundings and challenges that plague us on the inside? Our text this morning speaks to these questions, and in today's passage, the prophet Samuel falls for the exact same trap of judging based on appearances when he's looking to anoint the next king of Israel. And through this story, we discover something pretty alarming, that God judges us by a completely different set of standards than our own. So let's see how this plays out as Samuel anoints the next king of Israel, starting in 1 Samuel chapter 16, verse 1. The Lord said to Samuel, How long will you grieve over Saul, since I have rejected him from being king over Israel. Fill your horn with oil and go. I will send you to Jesse the Bethlehemite, for I have provided for myself a king among sons. And Samuel said, How can I go? If Saul hears it, he will kill me. And the Lord said, Take a heifer with you and say, I have come to sacrifice to the Lord, and invite Jesse to the sacrifice. And I will show you what you shall do. And you shall anoint for me him whom I declare to you. Now these past few weeks we've been walking through the story of the first king of Israel, King Saul. And unfortunately, it hasn't been going very well. Saul's been disobeying God's orders. He's taking matters into his own hands. And he's prioritizing the desires of the people over God's desires. And at this point, as a result, King Saul has fallen out of favor with God. So what's the next step? God asks the prophet Samuel, the messenger Samuel, to anoint a new king. Now, this was risky for Samuel to do because essentially it was treason, right? You have an active king, and that king's messenger is now picking a new king. So it was very a risky thing to do. And Samuel, he voices this concern. He says in verse 2, how can I go? If Saul hears it, he will kill me. But God promises to show Samuel exactly what he needs to avoid suspicion from the current king. And so what does he do? Samuel trusts God in this and follows his commandment to anoint a new king. And these specific instructions, they eventually lead him to a man named Jesse and his seven sons and two daughters in the town of Bethlehem, just outside of Jerusalem. Here Samuel begins to discern with God who will be the next king. So continue to read with me here in verse 6. When they came, he looked on Eliab and thought, Surely the Lord's anointed is before him. But the Lord said to Samuel, Do not look on his appearance or on the height of his stature, because I have rejected him. For the Lord sees not as man sees. Man looks at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks on the heart. 
Remember that phrase that I brought up earlier? Don't judge a book by its cover. Well, here's Samuel, one of the holiest people in the Old Testament, trying to discern who God is calling him to choose as the next king of Israel, and even he falls for the trap of judging based on appearances. But there's something else really important here that I want us to pick up on. Here's Samuel choosing the next king based on one set of standards, and then there's God choosing the next king based on an entirely different set of standards. Now, in terms of us, how do we typically judge others? Well, we often judge people based on appearances, whether we realize it or not. We carry a bias towards celebrating and personally investing our energy and time in people who are talented, attractive, and hardworking. So when Samuel saw Jesse's first son, Eliab, he immediately assumed that he was the person for the job. He, he you know, sized up Eliab, took in his appearance and his height, and he thought to himself in verse 6, surely the Lord's anointed is before him. But God has a radically different perspective. Later in the passage, we discover that God chooses David, the youngest brother, just a shepherd, not Eliab or his older brothers, to be the next king of Israel. God takes this exact same perspective when he considers you and me. So what metric, so to speak, is God looking at when he judges you and me? Rather than judging by outward appearances, God judges based on the heart. Look again with me in verse 7. But the Lord said to Samuel, Do not look on his appearance or in the height of his stature, because I have rejected him. For the Lord sees not as man sees. Man looks on the outward appearance, but the Lord looks on the heart. When uh, God is talking about the heart in this passage, the Hebrew word for heart is lavav. And lavav, um, it essentially means the inner mind, will, or soul. So think of this term heart as the inner person. Um, During the time this was written in this text, um, the ancient Near East culture didn't have a full grasp on the anatomical purpose of the heart. So they knew, for starters, that it was an organ that sustained life, but at the same time, they, ne- they didn't necessarily understand the purpose of the brain. So what did they do? They believed that the heart was the source of not only physical life, but also where we think, where we feel emotions, and where we make choices motivated by our desires. In other words, while appearances focus on what we portray on the outside, the heart is who we really are on the inside. So notice that in this passage, God is not concerned with appearances in the same way that Samuel is. And that isn't to say that appearances aren't important and that God doesn't bless our appearances. In fact, in the very first book, of the Bible, Genesis, in the very first chapter, right at the end, God looks over all creation, and what does he say, including you and me? He says, it's very good. So God clearly values our appearance and how he made us, but in this story and throughout scripture, I would argue that we find that God is much more concerned with the inner person, the heart. Isn't that kind of beautiful? 
you know, I'm in my 20s, and I, I have friends that are Christians, not Christians, and the conversations sound the same in dating life. So I have my guy friends that are looking for someone special, and they're like, some of them are like, you know what, I'm done dating just for fun. I'm really looking for a real relationship. where they, it's, it's not just surface level, it's real. And then some of my female friends, they're like, I'm looking for a real man that, I'm doing a terrible impression here, sorry, uh, <laughs> friends that I have. Um, you know, I'm looking for a real man that like, loves me for me right? And that's beautiful. You know, that's real intimacy. Of course, that's what we're looking for. Now, think for a moment of all of the superficial relationships that you have. And we can sit here for a while thinking about them, unfortunately. Um, But isn't it such a breath of fresh air when someone is genuinely concerned with your heart? Isn't that such a breath of fresh air? That's probably the most powerful form of healing as people, that we can have for one another, especially because so many relationships today are so transactional. But God offers a relationship that goes beyond the superficial. Like I said earlier, there's intimacy and deepness with a relationship with God. And why is this true? I'm not just saying this. Why is this true? Because God looks at the heart. God sees you so intimately that he stares right through, you know, that fresh face or that tired face with with bags under your eyes. He stares right through the, the polished, you know, nice clothes or the raggedy ones. He looks past all that stuff and into your heart. God sees you so deeply, and, and it forces me to ask a question for myself and for all of us. How is our heart? How is our our inner person, our soul? When we take off everything that we own, that we've earned, that we've achieved, what do we have left? That's what God's concerned with, the heart. And you know what? The idea that God looks past appearances and at our heart, it sounds nice and it's beautiful, but it's actually really bad news for us. Because I don't know about you, but my heart and my inner person are are broken. They're broken. Let's be honest with ourselves. And I'm not the only one who feels this way. The prophet Jeremiah has a glowing review, sarcasm, um, about the state of the heart. Uh, Let's read in Jeremiah 17, verse 9 says this, the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately sick. Who can understand it? It may sound like a downer of a verse to read um, this weekend, but I agree with Jeremiah. I really genuinely agree. I don't know about you, but my heart is messed up. And I'm not just saying that. I'm going to be more specific with you. My heart is hardened fickle, and sinful. My heart's hardened because the world feels like it's so messed up right now. And I really struggle to find hope at times that God can break through this divisive momentum that exists in the world today. My heart's fickle because I get discouraged and when things don't go my way, my heart begins to crumble more than I'd like to admit. And my heart's sinful 
As a ministry leader here at Stanwich, I never want to give the impression that I have it all together or I don't regularly come up short in honoring God with my life because that's not true. Friends, my heart is hardened, fickle, and sinful. It's deceitful above all things and desperately sick. Who can understand it? And here's Samuel, a messenger from God, receiving point-blank assessments as he goes down the line of all the sons, looking past their appearances and essentially exposing every person that he walks by for who they really are in here. And if that's how God judges us, by the condition of our hearts, then we're in a lot of trouble. So what is our hope in the midst of this exposing of our broken hearts? Well, thankfully, God doesn't judge us based on our hearts. He judges us based on the heart of Jesus. What you and I need, it's not a new way to think. It's not a teaching on moralism. No, that's just taking care of the symptoms of a broken heart. What we really need is a spiritual heart transplant. And that's exactly what God did for us and does for us through Jesus. Look at this promise in Ezekiel 36, 26. And I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put within you. And I will remove the heart of stone for your heart of flesh. From, uh, sorry, your heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. This promise was made before Jesus. It's been fulfilled in Jesus. When we accept Jesus into our lives, we become a new creation. Our hardened, fickle, sinful hearts are replaced with hearts that beat for God and his purposes. In other words, through faith in Jesus, we experience a renewal of the lavav, the inner person, the inner self. And God, or good news, I have good news. The good news of the gospel is that God doesn't judge us based on our hearts. He judges us based on the heart that Christ put in us. So I'll ask again, how is your heart this morning? How is your inner person? How is your soul? Do you find yourself making judgments and accusations about yourself towards other people, about certain situations in your life that you just can't control? Is your heart messed up just like the rest of us? I have good news. God wants to give you a new heart, a new life in Christ. It's amazing. Our hearts, they're so sinful, yet when God looks at us, he's not seeing our wicked hearts anymore. He's seeing Jesus' heart, his blameless, righteous heart. So what's you know, one practical takeaway from all of this? Well, I guess one for starters is that we don't need to be ashamed anymore when we approach God, even in our brokenness. Amen. 
So that's us. But then in the world, every believer carries God's Holy Spirit in their heart wherever they go. So one challenge I have for all of us is to make space to listen to those Holy Spirit nudges that God's giving us in our heart this week. And I pray that wherever we find ourselves, that God would give us a heart that beats for Jesus and his purposes so that we would be compelled to love others as Christ loved us first. Thank you, God, for looking past appearances, healing our inner selves through Christ. Amen. To learn more about the mission and vision of Stanwich Church and how you can get involved, please visit stanwichchurch.org.